Sepsis, or the infection causing sepsis, starts before a patient goes to the hospital in nearly 87% of cases. Sepsis is a medical emergency. If you or your loved one has an infection that's not getting better or is getting worse, act fast. Get medical care immediately. Ask your healthcare professional, could this infection be leading to sepsis? And if you should go to the emergency room, learn more at cdc.gov sepsis. This is Mark Masters, author of The Content Revolution, telling a better story to differentiate from the competition. And you are listening to Authors in Quarantine, getting cocktails. Cheers! Hello and welcome to this hopefully short-lived series that will be airing in addition to the weekly marketing book podcast interviews. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal during this unusual time is to reconnect you with past guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, share some ideas and inspiration, and maybe a much-needed laugh or two. I've interviewed over 200 authors on the show, and my plan is to continue this series until I either run out of authors or quarantine, whichever comes first. A word of warning, the host and guest may very likely be drinking cocktails during these conversations. I mean, come on. They are recorded during the cocktail hour. To find the show notes for each episode with pictures of each guest and links mentioned in their conversation, visit marketingbookcocktails.com. Marketingbookcocktails.com. See what I did there? And if you'd like to join the conversation, email a voice recording to me at douglas at salesartillery.com, and I'll try to include it in a future episode. I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat. Mark Masters, welcome to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. What is going on in your quarantined world? That's a great way to introduce, and in my little enclave on the south coast of England, the world is slowly starting to open up again, but that doesn't matter. But the main thing is, is that I've got out of the house, I've, I've, I've walked down the road, I've come down to the office, I'm away from uh, uh, the, the a seven-year-old and a five-year-old maths and I'm ready to open this bottle. Are you ready? Yes. You need to tell everybody what you have there. Well, I'm very glad you asked. So I, I've been, throughout this lockdown, I have been making homebrew. I have been making homebrew. What I'm about to open now, it's always a test. I always get excited when I open this bottle. This isn't me just opening a bottle of fizzy water. This is me opening my homebrew. And it's been ready now. So it's been, re- I've been, it's, it's been fermenting, and now it's been carbonating for the past two, three weeks. This is a debut. You ready for this, young man? Let's do it. Listen. Here we go. <laughs> hey! Spilling everywhere, Douglas. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Oh, no. But is that really different for you, Mark? It's spilling everywhere. Mm. Oh, there's a head on that, Douglas. Oh, so it's Mark Masters uh, Burnmouth Homebrew. Is, it, is, that, is that what you call it? I'm, I haven't given it a name. It was desperation when I made this, when, okay. uh, when everything was, when all the doors were shut and the world became, on put, became paused. So I thought, well, let's, let me get back into my homebrew. What an old man I'm becoming, aren't I? <laughs> yes. Yes. And uh, boy, I don't know what you can do. I mean, the Burnmouth Football Club, they're not playing right now. Nobody's... 
nobody's playing. But whenever I see them on TV, I am I do try to uh, tune in and and uh, cheer for the for the team. So, Mark Masters, uh, you were on the show in October of 2015 for episode 40, 40, wow. and this. As we record this this Friday, I publish episode 279 in your book, The Content Revolution, Telling a Better Story to Differentiate the Competition. At the time I read that, I remember thinking that if somebody had been on Mars for 10 years and suddenly came back and needed to understand what happened, <laughs> what this content marketing thing is and how uh, interruptive media no longer uh, works like it once did. In fact, now it's probably working even worse. And then you included in the book lots of analogies to uh, kings and queens and uh, castles. And I, I just had to wonder at the time if it was required by British law to include uh, mentions of kings and castles, or perhaps you got a, a grant from the British government uh, for, for writing that into your book. But I would expect no less from a British author and you Good sir, were the very first author from the United Kingdom that I had on the Marketing Book Podcast. And just like right now, you were the first and only author to actually be drinking during your interview because it was the cocktail hour there in England. I've tried since to get many authors to do that, with the exception of this special limited time series of authors in quarantine getting cocktails. But when it comes to an interview with an author about their new book, nobody seems to want to. Uh, have a cocktail. So it, you still hold that special place of honor amongst all the authors on the Marketing well, Podcast. There's a line there, my friend. And if I stepped across it, then I call myself a pioneer. But thank you for thank you for making sure that I live up to every stereotype of someone from across the Atlantic. And as I recall, that was right after, not long after Burnmouth had gone into the Premier League. Is that correct? Oh, this is so good. I like the way we're not strangers. So it's like, it's like this, this is going to like flow. So yeah, so when, oh, come on, I want to be like wistfully going back to happier days and everything else. So yeah, when, when we did it, yeah, we just got promoted. Oh my goodness. I was watching five years ago. I remember watching last week, two weeks ago, the day when I ran on the pitch and the day that we got promoted to Premier League for the first ever time. But so if somebody's listening to this around the world and they're thinking, this bloke is rambling, I'm going to just fast forward to the end of it. By the way, I hope, I hope I'm the only, am I the only Brit who's on this thread? Of the quarantine and cocktail. So podcast. far, there's a few others that I'm trying to coordinate with, but I have to do it during the day here because it's, then it's the cocktail hour there in England. So what that means is that I have to start drinking earlier in the day. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. I've been doing that. No, I'm, uh, but uh, yes, there are going to be a few others. You, of course, are the first Brit. Now, I did interview someone from who lives in London, but he's an American, Jason Miller, who you know. Good old Jason. Author of uh, Welcome to the Funnel, How to Turn Your Content Marketing Up to 11. And uh, so I spoke to him the other day, and he's doing well there in London. But uh, but I kind of had to ease into it. You know, the first author in the United Kingdom was an American. Now I've moved on to a real live uh, British subject. So, yes, there there you are. And since we were talking about soccer, and I know that's not what you all call it, but here in the colonies we call it soccer – 
I watched on Netflix the show Sunderland Till I Die, and I can't help but watch Premier League or the Sunderland Till I Die show on Netflix without thinking of Mark Masters because you kind of got me started with all this. You, you sort of lit this English football club interest that I have, and I even watched another show called uh, The English Game which was on Netflix about the history of uh, English football. So see what you started, Mark Masters. I'll take that. You've picked a brilliant series there. See ya. See there. It's not all about watching expensive Netflix programs about Michael Jordan and everything else. Let's get through to the, the, the grit of, 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 of the, the game. Yes. So Mark Masters, I want to ask, Tell us, take us back and tell us how you got into this whole area of content marketing. Let me tell you. So I started writing properly, let's call it blogging, January, January the 1st, 2012. And I started writing. There, ah, the first, and the first introduction was a really good book. Um, and it was talking about a thing called education marketing. And um, Tony Robbins had co-authored a book with a man called Chet Holmes. And they introduced, I think that would have been produced around the early 2000s, they introduced this thing of education marketing that became kind of content marketing. So I became interested in this particular discipline of how we create and how we can create a narrative that people warm to one another. And so what I did, I started a series in 2014 called Talking Content Marketing, where I could go to people around the world that avoid masters of their craft and via having no gatekeepers and going to people direct via Twitter. So many people that are part of the marketing book podcast, I approached and I asked them a number of que- number of questions. It was my education. And so from chatting to so many good people, um, they and their contributions and their efforts as well helped my kind of learning. I was a stu- I'm a student, still am. And Me this too. helped formulate the, the the book, The Content Revolution. It's like, and that's exactly what, so Jason Miller, when he was on your show uh, many years ago, was that. He said to you that to say, look, I this was everything I knew. I just want to get everything I knew down into a written format. And it ended up becoming his book. And so same here. So back in 2015, I started working on the book around about 2013, 2014. So I collected information and spoke to so many people that put together the book. And so that's where the fascination started. And then it just, and then it kind of progressed. And so I've always been in this place where I've been this human cannonball, where I would try things out and I would, most things in my life have failed. And so I wanted to understand this whole thing about what brings people together. And I believe that you can't stand in front of a stage and tell people because you've swallowed Simon Sinek, start with why, or you've read a few Seth Godin books and talk anecdotally. I believe that the best way is to share the proof and go out there and do it ourselves. And so after the book was published, I set up a side project called You Are the Media, which is effectively taking what was there in the book and me uh, uh, wearing the trousers and, and, showing the proof in the pudding that says, yeah, this kind of way works where we take the barriers down and how we build audience and how we create a narrative and how people warm to us. And this, uh, how this progresses now into different places like Mark Schaefer and known and all the things around that. So yeah, it's, I guess it's coming up to 10 years ago when I've been digging deep. 
Yes. And it's such a great name. You are the media. I sometimes say that, you know, like everyone, everyone can be a media, even a knuckleheaded podcaster in Virginia can start to build an audience. Well, let's talk a bit about the quarantine though. Is there anything that has surprised you, I guess, from a marketing standpoint about what's going on with the, the quarantine and what that's affected? This is this is my my main thing to me that has made me take all this stuff seriously is this thing around relevance. Yeah, we're all listen. I understand we're all trying to give a go. We're all trying to say something, and we're all trying our hardest at the minute. But one thing that I realize is that I guess it relates to when we talk about content marketing and uh, and 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 how we create a narrative is that it's okay to say I don't know my big learning from all this stuff that's happening around us is that at school we we got told that if we didn't know something to put our hands up now at what age does that stop because what we've seen in the past two months or so is this companies trying to get us to sign up to coronavirus themed webinars um, on what we all need to do to succeed post-pandemic and it's where companies are building, carving a role for themselves, supporting others. So I've noticed a way that coronavirus has given businesses an excuse to productize. But the opposite is by saying, look, rather than saying how to do well when business returns, is this thing where it is okay to say, look, I don't know. I do not know. I don't know. I just need to get through to the end of this. But I tell you what, let's try and figure this out together. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that I'm taking. That is my one thing. Because if you figure this massive jigsaw puzzle out together and people come along with you for the ride. This is how we start to bring people closer to us when we're holding our hands up and we're trying to acknowledge and and figure out these answers for ourselves, but with other people around us. Yeah. It's been, listen, it's been, it's been tough. There's it's been, it's been, there's, when I mentioned at the beginning about with two daughters is there's been the struggle and the balance of work, family and school as well. So that's meant that, you know, millions of families around the world, parents are exhausted at the end of each week. My other fear as well is this thing of becoming obsolete. So as my main company is a marketing consultancy, um, how I understand that companies and clients need to regroup and focus on everything that's internal and stabilize themselves before we pick up work again. So my my big word from this whole quarantine thing is how we all remain relevant and how we're still going to be here next year. Hmm. Well, what about I, you, by the way? What about you? What are you? What are you from, from talking to so many good people? What are you What's your takings from all this? Well, it, your comment brings to mind a few things. One is that if a company says, we don't know, I think their trust tends to soar. <laughs> yeah. Because everyone claims to to know what's going or, you know, there are certain places that are organizations that want you to think that they um, they know what to do. And there are companies and organizations that can offer help and they can help to guide you. And, the other thing that comes to mind has been mentioned by a few other authors is this uh, quote from the American novelist and screenwriter William Goldman. He was talking about Hollywood. I think the quote is, nobody knows anything. Yeah. <laughs> so that seems to be coming up where a lot of these uh, authors have said, look, a lot of people don't know quite what's going on. And it's okay to, to say that. And it is okay to try to help people and I see a silver lining for 
um, a lot of things. Maybe I'm somebody who looks for them, but also here's what I mean. There are a lot more companies that are consciously thinking about how they're going to be perceived now, driven in part by fear of appearing tone deaf or insensitive. But that's that's a good thing because I think prior to this, there were just way too many companies and organizations that were not thinking about how they were going to be perceived and whether or not they were actually being helpful. Yeah. There was a really good, uh, let me give, there was, we had the You of the Media Lions Club online recently. Really good guest, Doug Kessler. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it was all about voice. It was all about tone of voice. And he was kind of reinstating this idea, what you're talking about here, is he was said, look, there's no, there's no playbook for marketers on this. Some of us are going to get it right and, and some aren't. And he was saying, but many companies say that they are there for us, but... Are they really? And Doug was saying, look, not every company has to be a part of the conversation. Visibility is very important. I acknowledge that and how we use spaces and everything else in a minute. We have to be visible, but we don't have to be part of every conversation. For instance, you're not going to be too concerned that an insurance company is open and you're not going to notice too much that your energy provider says that they care about you. Mm -hmm. And on the opposite side, some companies are opening up and being honest with how they are adjusting to life. Yes. And I recall from when I spoke to Jason the other day that he mentioned Doug as well. And he said, uh, I think there was some restaurant that Doug goes to. I, I guess we should. Oh, it's a steak get, place. Yeah. yeah steak, I guess we should just get Mr. Kessler on the line. He, yet another American who lives in, <laughs> in England. <laughs> I seem to know uh, both of them. And, uh, he was talking about how that all they were doing was saying, well, here's what's going on. We, we, they're, they're basically keeping in touch and saying, here's who, here's how we're able to, to keep going as, as best we can. We appreciate your interest. We look forward to being able to reconnect with all of you, but it sounded like a very honest and, and transparent uh, connection. And that made me think of these organizations that are, or people rather, who are, Prepaying, though they're buying guest cards or, or gift certificates from organizations that they want to come back, like people who are prepaying for haircuts or salon treatments or uh, future restaurant visits, uh, just because they're trying to support these uh, establishments that are uh, struggling. They can't, in many parts of the world, they're not allowed uh, to be open. So... That's why I haven't had a haircut in a while, and uh, I thought, well, shoot, if I can't get my haircut, I, I, I can't treat my uh, facial hair any differently. So that's why I'm growing this beard, and pretty soon I'm going to start looking like the uh, captain of the Titanic. I hope with different, uh, uh, different outcome. If that takes away from looking at, yeah, listen, I'm a man who's losing his hair, Douglas. So <laughs> what do you do there? Listen, don't laugh. It's not funny when you when you haven't had a haircut and you're too scared to say to your wife, "I'll have a grade four. Because then, what? Listen, when I've done that, it's game over. It's like yourself. We take away that attention there, but what's growing on you on your head? So look at that, look at that lustrous beard, Douglas is growing. Yes, yes. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Mrs. Burdett is not too uh, keen on it, but I'm doing it sort of out of curiosity and simply to mark the time. So, Mark, let's go back. Let's go back to you. Let's, let's talk about Mark Masters, okay? And one of my favorite questions to ask is what is a common myth 
about content marketing that you either like to debunk or you find yourself having to explain all the time? Oh, that's a that's a that's a good one. That's a good my, one of my one of my pet things that relates to this of myths to debunk and everything else is this thing of scale, yeah? Because we talk about the more that we create, um, that means the, the bigger the audience and the people that come on board with us and whether we're having a presence on Instagram and we're getting excitable about the thousands of people that are there. There's always this thing about scale, that we create content, that we create a narrative and around it people will come on board. But there is this thing around, look, we, we're not necessarily here for everybody. It we don't have our messages don't have to carry across so many different mediums we're not here for everybody and sometimes when we look at scale we we create content that we put out there in the big wide world that has reach that people want to come to our spaces to find out more and so to me Seth Godin talks about this thing of the minimum viable audience and it's just now is just leaning into those people that care. And it's all about leaning into those people that matter. It's very easy to get drawn away to mass and scale. We have to have big businesses. We need big audiences. We don't need big audiences. Um, I've, there's Kevin Kelly. It's always, it's always, it's always name drops a lot of times. If he's a thousand fans, 2009, mm-hmm. Seth Godin wrote first 10. Have a look at that. There's, there's, a, there's an article he wrote called First 10, and it says you do not need hundreds and thousands of people. All you need is 10 people, 10 people that will tell others, and that kind of becomes that becomes ongoing. So my big thing to debunk is this thing around scale. We can be okay being small and get, gathering people around our voice and what we believe in because it's those people that will champion us and those people that we can still live an income, get an income. We can still have our holidays. We can still enjoy life. We don't always need to be looking over our shoulder and looking at someone that has created more that is using on LinkedIn the word humbled to have another to have 20,000 followers. Today, it's irrelevant and we need to let our guard down a little bit by knowing that, that, that mass and scale is something that belongs to something from the past 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yes, it makes me think of a more industrial age approach. <laughs> To uh, yeah, to building an audience. Uh, yeah, you you know it's so interesting where somebody will say, "Well, my email list isn't very big," but you can go in and see that you've actually got a very engaged audience. You don't need to reach everyone. It's like you don't need all the traffic in the world. You need the right traffic. Good example for that. Let me just follow this up. We talk about that about email audiences and. Because we are always seen that working with clients, um, showing lots of people joining mailing lists is seen as a marker of success. But last July, I deleted my entire database, my entire email database that I'd been building for many years or officially since 2013. So it wasn't huge. It was around about 2,500 people. But on one Friday afternoon, I lost everything and it was just in my head. It was just me and my mum that were going to be getting the email and it was a very desperate place. But the upshot of that but is. It, it was a mistake, it, uh, an accident. Oh, it's totally, totally mistake. It was my, I said to MailChimp, um, can you just reset to what it was 15 minutes ago or so? And MailChimp said, look, because you are accountable, you created this audience. Um, if you deleted it, it's your fault, my friend. Um, hands up. It was my mistake. I just, 
ticked a column by mistake oh. and the whole lot went in a puff of smoke but getting to the point quickly is the 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 lesson i learned is knowing who your true audience is so even if there was two and a half thousand or so people did not two and a half thousand people were going to be there were so those so when i built it again i went against everything in GDPR rules, scraped audiences, those people that are booked via Eventbrite, people that I knew, I just built the, the the database from scratch. So when I sent my first email again after the um, project mayhem, there was 700 or so people. But it made me realize that these these were the people that were there. Um, um, the clicks through to articles, um, open rates were higher than they had been before. So those people that subscribed, a lot of people weren't necessarily there or there for the journey was those people that are with you this is the thing is to lean into that audience and those people that are there that are going to be with us it doesn't matter that we should see mass and numbers and everything else as a, as a measurement of success we still do because that's how people come to us and that's how in when we look at the influencer kind of space how we create that and and people look at that as a, as a sense of it's a sense of vanity and the sense of wow they they've amassed a lot how many of those people are the true people that are there that stand beside us and, and try and figure all this this stuff out together? Yeah, it brings to mind the notion of vanity metrics where organizations don't know quite what are the metrics that matter. So they just start making uh, matter the things that they can measure. And I seem to recall hearing, I think I learned this from HubSpot, that the average email list deteriorates 25% a year anyway. People unsubscribing or moving or they're not engaging any longer, that that sort of thing. So they're very, it's a very perishable thing. And there was a book on the show a couple of years ago by David Cancel uh, called Conversational Marketing about um, chatbots. He's the founder of Drift. Right. Terrific book. And in that book, I remember that he was talking about how the one of the best email marketing metrics is who responds to the email. <laughs> in yeah. other words, and so we started doing this where we encouraged like this one client where he it's coming in his voice. It's from him. And uh, we encourage people to answer a question or respond back. And that's really, I think the, that I, I agree with David Cancel that that's such an important metric because that's real live engagement. You know, it's even better than measuring click-throughs and open rates and, and all that sort of thing. The lovely thing as well, when someone reaches out and if you say that, that there is an email or someone responds to say something they've enjoyed or something that you've said, strike a... Um, a thread or something to think about and you can be a part of that conversation that become that net becomes a lot closer mm-hmm. yeah what kind of questions are you getting from clients these days this is good so the questions are still have they changed yeah here we here we go here we go one of the things that i've noticed from from clients is we used to be so I am from an old agency background and my world was all about creating pristine content, adverts, brand, anything that represented a brand, the lovely foil on the brochure that somebody's put. <laughs> so everything was always striving for perfection. And so where then what's I've generally noticed this in the past couple of years 
is for clients that have their mentality where they have to be creating pristine pieces of work. So when you're working with a client and you're encouraging them to create content often, not often, doesn't have to be every day, but as long as they're creating a narrative and having a point of view to deliver, is that people start to let their guard down a bit more. So we're taking from what I've noticed of people thinking that they have to create this wonderful, beautiful, polished, pristine piece of work. And then the thing we start to notice is that consistency and not perfectionism is the key to growth or key to subscriber growth, people coming on board your side. And so I've noticed over the past few years is this switch from recognizing that we have to create, listen, we can still create good work, but this thing of persistence with it. Listen, it's a bit like your pod. It's a bit like your podcasts. It's a bit like the marketing book podcast, isn't it? The longer you've kept with it, has the longer you've kept with this, the easier it's become for you. Yes. And people say, how did you build your audience? And the answer is not the one they're looking for, but I say, I just keep showing up every Friday for five and a half years. Because you could spend ages editing these really good conversations, editing them down, editing, but that would just ruin you. And you would lose the fun element that you have from putting this, this whole show together. Mm. And it's, you know, the, how many gone? How many years did you say? Five, five and a half. I started in January of 2015, and I just—it's uh, very spontaneous. I think I, I try to publish. I've read the book, so there's certain things that I'm very excited to talk to the author about, but they're minimally edited, and I, really showing up is after a while. You start to realize that you know consistency is more important than clever and certainly more important than perfection. Let me add something to that, Mark Masters. If something is perfect, I think it's less believable. In other words, in this digital world where we're not near each other as much, and certainly during the pandemic, the more imperfect and authentic you appear, the more believable you are. I was just talking to a a prospective client yesterday, I think, and we were talking about doing videos and we talked about doing, you know, videos to basically answer customer questions and help uh, answer all kinds of questions, sort of along the lines of they ask you answer by Marcus Mm. Sheridan. And very quickly, I knew to say, but I don't mean hire a video production company. And we were talking on a Zoom call. I said, I'm talking about putting your iPhone right on the desk where you are right now and answering these questions. In fact, if it's too slick and well-produced and well-lit, it's less believable. So I think that that is a sort of a, a you thing know what? to That's add so true. when somebody says, well, it needs to be perfect. And it reminds me, I came from the same agency background where it was like producing an annual report or something, yeah. <laughs> something like that. And it's, Actually, no. Well, if you're doing something that's going to be printed, that's that's different. But how much print do we uh, still get to do? But if it's too slick, too well-produced, it just doesn't seem human. And look at all the websites you see. How many of them make you think that they are real humans or if they're a really you know bureaucratic, uptight organization? I don't know. I think there may be a connection. He's going to have a client in the recruitment industry so whilst the world so when this all started to be played out at the end of march 
So we all panicked. And so the industry would have been talking about, um, we are still open, um, how to book appointments. And so what we did come out with this, what you're saying here is that this is now what it all comes down to the fact that your employees or you or, or, or people are the brands, the individuals that have a voice are the brand. So what we did is, as you said there, by getting their cameras out, talking into their phone, landscape format, just edit the beginning and end and post that. And whilst everyone else was saying within the industry, we're still open. Great. We want to hear from you. Let us know your stories. It was all about the team that, that acknowledged that they weren't necessarily natural presenters, but what it did was reveal people's personality. Mm-hmm. And it's about being vocal about perspective, perspective such as how are we getting through this? Um, wasn't about what we, if we fast forward a few months, we're going to be back to how to create pristine, really good, how to create good emails or, or, or how to be talking video interviews and how to do really good CVs. And this is all about, you know, we talk, it's been explained a lot around about with what's been going on with the pandemic around this thing of Maslow, of Maslow being back at the bottom of the ladder again. Mm-hmm. And that's where we all are. So rather than talking about how to be successful and get the optimum job and everything else, it was about acknowledging that, listen, this is tough for all of us. And here's things that we're noticing. And here, here's aspects that we are struggling with. And this is what's going on with clients. Or here's people we are working with that are offering free HR support. Here are here are our teams that are here that can help you with uh, the financial uh, uh, questions that you have. And it was all about mucking in. And it was all about being personal, led to something that resonated with other people. And now what's what's been happening for us as we're living through this is that, you know, you hope that those people that will come out when the sun comes out again are those people that have, okay, we talk about a lot about with Brenny Brown's brilliant books on vulnerability mm. and everything else in where we have been vocal and we have had something that we've believed in and can stand for that is more than the same messages that we've had because this is how then we let our guards down, show who we are and show, do you know what, if – I do care what what I do, and I do care about the people that I'm working with, and that's how we can start to attract people to our to our barbecues and our parties again at some point. And I hope that we don't lose a lot of that after everything calms down, whatever that means. <laughs> like we talk about this pandemic being over, you know, who knows? There's uh, it's it's not do, like yeah, will we? That's the thing. Will we though? Because I don't want to be awful. That that when. When things start to find momentum again, it all goes out the window. I hope. But again, that's when we see yeah. who the, that's the thing where we talk about truth now. And, and then, it, then, then when I talk about the coronavirus being productized, it all effectively became a campaign. And we don't want that. We don't want to see that. We don't want to see that from companies that did it for just a means of um, uh, of self congratulation or or whatever it is. Or they did it because they care and they kind of and they could see the gaps that were there and managed to bring people alongside to to bring people alongside them. And the thing is, is that they repeated it. And then we moved on to the when I talk about stop going on striving for perfection is that we let go, we move on to the next topic, and then we repeat the whole process. And that's how we get people coming back to us because ours or yours listening or whatever we're doing, it's a really great place to be. Mm-hmm. So Mark, let me ask you a question I've never asked another guest ever. Here we go. If you could step into my shoes, what would you have asked yourself that I didn't? 
Oh my goodness. Look at you. You're good. Aren't you? Rather than send an ear out of these questions. Well, I've gone across the Atlantic and I've got a real British person. So I figured I better up my uh, interview game here. The question that I would have asked myself that I haven't been asked. When did you become such a good looking guy? Oh, jeez. That's, 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 that's good for morale. That's kidding. good for morale. You know what? My, that- my, thi- my, my thing that I'd want to ask myself is how am I still going to be? How are you still going to be here next year, Mark? How are you still going to be here smiling? How are you still going to be here welcoming people, being a good host? How are you still? How are you? How are you still going to be here next year and relevant to other people, Mark? And that's the thing that I'm trying to. I, I, it's just always in the back of my mind. And how you can still be here for other people and how you can be good at what we do and be visible. And do you know why you're going to be relevant? Why? Douglas, this is it now. Now you've got the blimmin' crystal ball. Come on, my lovely. The reason you're going to be relevant is because you're asking yourself that question now. Look at there you this go. Is, this, is, this, is, this is a mic drop moment, isn't it? Let me tell you another Imagine, reason. Imagine if it just ends now. Let me tell you another ends. reason why you're going to be relevant, because I'm going to force you to. And the reason why is because for the last couple of years, I've had the honor of being the last guest on your podcast each year where we talk about some of the books that were on the Marketing Book Podcast. So that's become my holiday tradition now. The kids are older. (laughs) They're in their 20s now, and your girls will get there at some point. But it's like that's my end-of-year tradition now is getting knowing that I'm going to be the very last guest on your podcast. So That's what it is. So if you're listening, we have the podcast, you're the media podcast. And so the last show of the year is when I spend time with Douglas reviewing the books that, that and the people that the good people that he is interviewed on the marketing book podcast. And just for us all to take good books away and to realize and end the year on a high. Oh, mate. See, so I hope rather that- than being rather than you being a man, I last spoke to five years ago and you regarded me and it's all like ums and ahs. And we're all a bit, you know what's mark like is he a bit of a is he a bit reserved is he a bit ooh, and i'll be thinking douglas is he he's quite professional with all this with his emails he's sending me before so you wouldn't get this it'll be douglas this is a very good question and if, and i'll give you textbook answers i don't we're loosening up yeah oh behave <laughs> I don't go, i'm not going down that it's a bit nutty <laughs> i'm not going down Pulling out. It's stereotypical for going down Austin Powers. Or no 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 no. Yeah, but at the end of this now, you give me your give me your best. Give me your best British accent. That was it. No, that's bloody I'm not having Austin Powers. Give me give me the give me the what uh, what are you what are you getting up to for the rest of the day, Mark? What does it all mean, Nigel? <laughs> I'm sorry, I have the whole second Austin Powers movie memorized. So uh, I I don't want to subject your folks to that, but listen, at least I have a shot at being the last guest on your podcast in the year 2020. And otherwise, Mark Masters, I really appreciate you joining us on Authors in Quarantine, getting cocktails, and I hope that you and your family stay safe and healthy and sane. Thank you, Douglas. Uh, well done with what you're doing with this. And 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 the Marketing Book Podcast is a big, big fave. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Oh!